Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. So, lately, it's, it's been hard out here for everybody. Literally every single person, except all of the people that do not give a shit that the Roni is out there. Or the people who love being introverted. So, like, they are just celebrating right now. Oh, but yeah. you need to check in on your introvert friend or your extrovert friends, guys. <laughs> we are not doing They're well. having a hard time. Actually, I'm actually not doing as badly as I could. After, well, this weekend, honestly, I've still had a ton of shit to do because my job at a bar was still ongoing and... You got to deliver mead. I got to deliver mead to people who were very clearly terrified of me and some of them wouldn't even give me a tip. So, cool, thanks. Um, You're just risking your life in the coronavirus. I could catch the fucking Roni from you and you can't even give me a fiver, but... That's even fine. three, even three singles, something, anything, something. Um, but yeah, so I have been doing that, and I have been writing notes for this, and I've just been like fucking busy. But after tonight, I'm not gonna have shit to do. Well, and also we're gonna, I'm gonna be stuck here forever because there's a snowstorm. Because <laughs> why not throw that? Because why top not of have this fucking snowstorm? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Times are weird, guys, but. You've got us. We're going to help you guys get through. You're going to listen to our bullshit and you're like, ha, Maggie and Ashley are hilarious. We're here to entertain you while you're a shut-in. And you know what? Honestly, you could join in on the fun with us and turn this into a drinking game. Ooh, you, you could. You could, though. I mean, we're drinking. So, like, why don't you take take a hot second? We'll wait. Pour yourself a beer or a wine or a whiskey. Wine. You know, whatever you like to drink, we ain't going to judge you. You drinking White Claws still? Ain't no laws. Clearly, there are no laws. No, There are kind of strict laws of, like, 
self-quarantining but also there's no laws yeah like so if you are in there's this thing- no laws within these walls bam got it okay i don't know because you're self-quarantining oh okay yeah i mean i know you're right sure that was really good that was very and you good. were like no <laughs> unimpressed show me what you've got show me what you've got disqualified (laughs) anyway (laughs) guys at this point you probably have your drink ready to go yeah 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 and why not turn this into a drinking game with us i'm gonna say i have a name for it yeah i want to call it the today times are extra spicy rock candy podcast drinking game oh i like it I like it. So you got to drink whenever we talk about heroin. I mean, clearly. <laughs> yeah. You got to drink whenever we tell people not to touch children. Yeah. Got to drink. God, you guys are going to be shit faced before the end, oh, the middle of this. Got to um, drink whenever I do a really bad segue. You have to drink if we say uh, dick and or balls. Come on. You're going to kill them. I mean, the the first three rules alone, they're going to die. So maybe if we use dick and balls in the same sentence. You have to remember, this is the extra spicy yes. drinking game. <laughs> sure. This is so spice. Okay, so how... And also, drink maybe, when we talk about mayonnaise, then. <laughs> mayonnaise is mayonnaise, spicy. Mayonnaise is spicy. <laughs> um, okay, it's maybe... mayonnaise, it's mayonnaise. <laughs> Okay, drink every time that we make a stupid pun. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, maybe not whenever we mention uh, dick or balls. Yeah, that's and too or much. balls. Maybe whenever we make a dick joke. Oh, yeah, like a good dick joke. Good dick joke. Some good, good dick joke. But that's up to your discretion. You yeah. have to determine if it's a good dick joke or not. Yep. Yeah. There you go. I think that's all we need because <laughs> they're going to be yeah, shitty. You guys are going to be real shitty. But here's the thing. You're home right now, and you can't go anywhere, so get as drunk as you want. Yeah, you're not driving right now, so. And quite frankly, Ashley ain't got nothing to do after this. I, however, do have to go to work. You do have to go to work, but, I mean, I can always sleep here and just go home in the morning. But what I want, and what I think both of us want, is for you guys to message us. You slide into our DMs (laughs) and tell us when you're real drunk and just tell us about how drunk yeah. you are when when you're extra spicy when you once you get extra spice let us know how spice you are let us know how you feel about being spice yeah and we'll we'll just have conversations then, like let's keep the conversations going guys and then you need to tell us which spice girl you identify with most <laughs> <laughs> and that's the name of the game <laughs> we yeah. did it we did it guys full circle yeah Anyway, so now that you guys are all settled <laughs> into your drinking game rules, yeah, I don't know if we actually made any sense, but eh, whatever. Drink with us. Converse with us, because right now, we're all we got, guys. Mm-hmm. So we're here for you if you need to have dumb conversations. <laughs> but for accompanying us on our booze journey tonight, we are drinking from BrewDog, and it's still out. I've seen it in Oliver's, so I know that yeah. they're still selling it. Uh, it's called Jet Black Heart. It is an oatmeal milk stout with natural vanilla flavor. And that's because we're talking about Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Fuck yeah. Wow. It took us a long time to get here, guys. <laughs> Drink. Sorry. Yeah. Just realized that. Drink, guys. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Drink again. Drink. 
Party. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music every time you're listening. It's always a treat, mm. I think. Anyway, <laughs> I hope. And yes, this week we are discussing the one and only Joan Jett mm-hmm. to continue our times on Women's History Month. Wow, you know what? Fucking leave it to the coronavirus to bogart Women's History Month. So we're here to bring it back to you guys. With the one and only Ms. Joan Jett. Because Corona might come and go, but Women's History Month is forever. It is. Also, we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. Wow, we are fucking this up. It's been a week. Like, nothing is the same. Guys, drink. (laughs) (laughs) They're already slosh. Yay. Join us in Sloshville, will you? As we divulge into the tale of the one and only Joan Jett, I have a feeling... We're going to leave this with opinions. Yeah. Ooh, we're going to get spicy, aren't we? Yeah. All right. This is the extra spicy episode. Ooh, extra spice. Um, <laughs> Move over old spice. There's time for sriracha all over this episode. Yeah. Maybe like with a bear on it. Maybe some chipotle mayo. That you know, is that is spicy mayonnaise. It is. <laughs> that is. That mayonnaise like, is spicy. Actually spicy mayonnaise. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. So... I kind of had to break this up into two separate parts because there's two very big sections to Joan's life. Yes. There's the runaways. Yes. And there is her solo career. Yes. So the first half is going to be a lot about the runaways in general. Okay. With a focus on Joan. Yeah. Because, guys, fucking runaways story is jacked up. Is it like that movie with. What is it Kirsten Stewart or Kristen Stewart? Chris Kristen Stewart. And Dakota Fanning. Yeah. And they played the runaways very believably, I'm sure. <laughs> Did you watch that? I never saw it. I don't want to see it. Same. And I'm kind of I don't know. Joan Jett was like a main uh consultant, I guess, for that hmm. movie. And I don't I don't, I don't know. From what I know about the runaways. Hmm. <laughs> Very curious to see how this goes down. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, when last week when we had our episode and I picked Cherry Bomb, yeah. learned a lot more about the Runaways. Yeah. Yeah. The, we could do a whole episode just on the Runaways. It's fucked. It's a lot, guys. But anyway, let's get into Joan Jett yes. herself. Miss Jett. Miss Jett. <laughs> Joan Jett is the indelible feminist. A hard-ass clad in faux leather and Converse sneakers, she has spent her 40-plus year career advocating for women and animals and fought for their right to equality. But it hasn't always been smooth sailing. She hit her fair share of bumps in the road, and some of them don't make her look too good and even challenge her image as a feminist Mother Teresa. It all started on September 22nd, 1958, when Joan was born to Jim and Dottie Larkin. She was the eldest of three kids with a younger sister and brother. They lived in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia. Her nice. father, Jim, was an insurance salesman and Dottie was a secretary. Truly the picture of 1950s domestic bliss. Yeah, that sounds about right. Joan and her mother loved to go to the movies when she was a kid. Movies had a huge impact on her, especially the movie version of the musical Cabaret. Huh. She was captivated by its campiness and innocent raunch, which no doubt stuck with Joan and influenced her image and sound later in life. That that checks. In 1967, when Joan was nine years old, the family moved to Rockville, Maryland. 
Here in Maryland, Joan started coming into her own. It helped that she had some pretty progressive parents for the time. They encouraged Joan and her siblings to be anything they wanted to be, disregarding gender norms. Nice. Good parents. Shit, that's progressive. Very. If Joan wanted to be an astronaut, a job normally reserved for men, then fuck it. Joan was going to be a fucking astronaut. Nice. With that attitude in mind, she started to explore music. When she was 13, she asked her parents for a guitar for Christmas. She was surprised to find that her parents got her a Sears Silvertone guitar, which was electric. Oh. That was what she truly wanted. Not an acoustic like a folk singer, but something she could really wail on like Jimi Hendrix. And she's like, my parents won't go that far. Well, all right, mom and dad, you did it. I, I was being conservative about this, but sure. I'm not going to say no. I don't look a gift horse <laughs> in the mouth. It An actual gift horse. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Joan drove her family bonkers with that guitar, playing the same thing over and over until she mastered it. And that's when her parents regurted the electric guitar. <laughs> All the regurts. Oh, another drinking thing is if we say pregnant, pergananant, or starch marks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I hope someone gets pergananant in this. <laughs> Drink. Drink, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> She started taking guitar lessons, but her teacher said girls don't play rock and roll and made Joan play folk songs. What? At the time, yeah, women could be musicians and have great careers, but they were always singing pretty songs in mousy voices on acoustic guitars and wearing flowy, flowery hippie dresses. Did they see Janis Joplin? Yeah. But she was still kind of like that. She was still like the hippie, long hair and beads. Yeah. But she, like, she didn't sound... Like no. a hippie dippy. She didn't sound like Joni Mitchell. No. No. But to Joan, that image of the female folk singer was a feminist trope in itself. And if you weren't Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez, then you were a groupie or a slut. And why was there no middle ground? Hmm. That's when Joan realized the whole women's lib movement of the 60s and 70s was basically bullshit. So she pretty much told her guitar teacher to fuck off and never went back. It's almost like... Any group of people that come together on a common ideal have a very specific ideal. Yeah. And if you try to move outside of that box a little bit, well, then you're not part of the ideal, are you? And you can get the fuck out. You're betraying them. You're a betrayer. Yeah. And then you look at them and you're like, but what about women's lib? And they're like, "Mm mm-mm. It has to be this kind of women's lib. Yeah. Or else it doesn't count. Unfortunately, that follows with most... Pretty much everything. Every movement ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with pretty much everything. In the early 70s, around when Joan was 14, her parents uprooted and moved to West Covina, California, a suburb suburb of Los Angeles. West I, Covina is a real place? Yeah. Oh. Why? So it's in uh, My Crazy Ex-Girl, or just in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's the place that the main character moves to, and there's oh. a whole song. West Covina. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not a real place. No, it's a real place. Well, shit. They have big pretzels. <laughs> well, good for them. Right? Like, now I want to go. That is something to brag about. That is something to have brag about. Have you seen my big pretzels? <laughs> Dick <Drink>. joke. <laughs> oh, I thought that balls was more joke? of a balls joke. Balls joke. Balls joke. Same thing. I got big pretzels, yo. <laughs> Just swinging them around on that rack. <laughs> Shortly after the move, Joan's parents divorced. Oh, West Covina could not save the marriage. Could not. Well, now we know. 
Joan went with her mother, officially changing her last name to her mother's maiden name of Jet. So no, Joan Jet is not a stage name. It is her legit legal name. Nice. I wasn't going to ask. I figured you'd tell me. Yeah. All right. But it very much sounds like a stage name. Yeah, right. It's just the alliteration. Yeah. If she was like Samantha Jet, it'd be like, nah, that's And also, real. Jet is a badass last name. Right? And has two Ts? Yeah. So like, there you go. L.A. in the early 1970s was a pretty bonkers place. You don't say. <laughs> it's still kind of a bonkers place. Yeah. It was consumed with Hollywood and rock and roll and people just trying to make it in some way or another. In the midst of all this was glam rock, which found a majorly solid footing in the L.A. club scene. Particularly popular was a club called Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco. <laughs> That's I can't say amazing. it without laughing. <laughs> Rodney Bingenheimer. <laughs> sure. A real person was a major player in the L.A. music scene. Dubbed the mayor of Sunset Strip, he was a DJ for KROQ and is credited with bringing glam rock to L.A. Good for him. You know what? That's a nice thing to put on your resume. I guess. His Special hair, skills. His hair was Awful, though. Oh, but like oh, glam boy. rock, your hair should be great. I mean, it was great for glam rock, but okay. he like just stayed with it way too long. Ooh, he's like, glam rock's dead, but not on my head. <laughs> there you go. Have fun with that one. Oh, God. It's extra spicy. So spice. <laughs> so spice. The English disco was a haven for weirdos and outcasts, and that's exactly why Joan was drawn to it. Although she was only 15 years old, Joan started going to the disco often, networking with the strangest of the strange and a lot of famous names, too. And this is where she met another young girl named Carrie Crone. Carrie was only 13 Hold at the though. time. Is that her real name? I'm assuming so. Because that yeah. is even more badass than Joan Jett. Yeah. Carrie Crone? Spelled with K's. Ooh. Carrie Crone. Yeah, that's more. That's way more badass. Yeah. Not to not to take away from Joan's badassness, but but Carrie still, Chrome is awesome, pretty good. Yeah, Joan Jett and Carrie Chrome BFFs, solving mysteries. <laughs> yeah, all right, we both went there. Yeah, good, yeah. good. Carrie was only thirteen at the time, but she was a regular in the club circuit and an ins- an aspiring lyric writer. Hmm. The two tried writing music together, but quickly realized the spark wasn't there and became good friends instead. Still, the fire was lit under Joan's ass, and the idea to start an all-female rock and roll band became her mission. Uh, that's pretty fucking rad. How old was Joan at this point? Fifteen. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, like, why are there all of these young why fucking... Why are all these women? babies just crawling around the, the bar scene? Okay, fine. Yeah. Carrie introduced Joan to a guy named Kim Foley, and a boy. Kim Foley <sighs> is a problematic person. Kim saw drink, <laughs> just fucking drink. just drink half your fucking cup. Get the fuck ready. <laughs> Kim saw something special in Joan and set out to make Joan's dream of an all-female band come true. I bet he did. But before we get to that, let's dive into Kim's troubled history, shall we? Uh, do we have to? You need to understand who who this guy is. I know, but I don't wanna. You, everybody else needs to know. <laughs> Y'all need to know about Maggie, this. you shut up. Everybody else, you listen in. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Sit down, shut up. 
Kim made his name in the glam rock club circuit, just like Rodney Bingenheimer. <laughs> his name wasn't half as cool, though. <laughs> he also had another name, and that rhymes with Mexual Mabuser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it rhymes with? It, it, it does. Cool. But of course, those things were kept hush-hush, and instead people just said he was eccentric. In actuality, he was preying on extremely young women, sexually abusing them, and in most cases, raping them. Rad. He's a rad dad. He's just a rad guy. <laughs> he doesn't even get the distinction of being a dad. He's just a guy. I, I don't know if he has kids. I don't think he does. No, he doesn't. I don't think he ever had kids. To give you an example of how gross he was... He once took out an ad in an L.A. zine called Backdoor Man. Oh, come on. In it, he said he was basically looking for an underage sex slave. To quote, If you are 18 and like it, or if you are under 18 and legally emancipated with paperwork, then you may have just stumbled upon the opportunity of a lifetime. I demand a blonde, blue-eyed sex dog, a modern Brigitte Bardot with no sagged-out tits or stretch marks, Starch marks. Starch marks drink. Brown hair and brown eyes tolerated only if it is massively titted with biker mama vibes. Surf stink is most appealing. What? what? Surf stink. What? Surf stink. What the fuck is surf stink? Is that just like a sandy vagina? I don't know. Is it a sandy butthole? Swamp ass? Swamp ass? It might be swamp is ass. Is it swamp ass? I don't know. What? I didn't. I could not bear to Google surf stink. <laughs> I couldn't. Guys, can someone, can someone who might be tipsy right now, just please take one for the team. Google surf stink and let us know what it is. Thank you. It's going to be horrible. No pictures, please. No pictures. No pictures. Carrie Chrome, unfortunately, was one young woman that Kim exploited. By Ugh. the time she met Joan in 1975, Kim was routinely raping Carrie. Considering the culture of the mid-70s rock and roll scene, his abuse of teenage girls was an open secret that no one dared whistleblow. I don't know why. I no, mean... Nobody liked this guy. Right. But, but nobody it, would was, call him out. That was the time. That, yeah. And that's no fucking excuse. Hey, drink. Don't fucking touch kids. Yeah. Like, don't rape anyone, but don't fucking touch kids. Yeah. Just, and that's like... That how is that not like if you meet somebody who touches a kid and you're not like, but why a kid? But also, why was it so accepted? Like why everybody knew that he only went after women who were under eighteen. Yeah, they, so they were like, oh, they probably would see a girl who was like fifteen walk into the bar and be like, oh, she doesn't stand a chance against Kim. Nope. Yeah, because that's just. That was just and what they also, did. also, like, I don't understand why if nobody actually, from everything I read, it seems like nobody really liked the guy. He was very difficult, very fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Nobody liked him. So why was everybody completely okay with him raping teenage girls? Was he rich? No. I got nothing. I mean, maybe he had, like, one or two hits that he was a part of, so he made money off of them from the 60s, but they weren't anything, like crazy so i don't he didn't have a shit ton of money that it doesn't it doesn't make sense it makes no fucking sense like to me. when you have power i get it but he, i don't see how he had any power yeah the only power he had was that 
he was dumb enough to just stick his nose in every single music person's business Especially and if they force were himself young women and force himself to be a part of it so that they had to like accept him just accept that he was there and he was part of it oh he was that fucking guy yeah he was like that guy in college that would like somehow weasel his way into like your game night and you're like how the fuck did none chad of us, get here none of us like chad why is chad here you know what we always pick chad and i'm sorry to chad's let's pick a different <laughs> name why is tim always here oh I, there's too many good tims out there there's some bad tims too yeah. though how about uh douglas jerry Ooh, jerry jerry that's a good one why the fuck is jerry here who invited jerry and everyone's like i didn't fucking invite invite jerry so why is he here i don't know and nobody kicks him out he fucking hangs around and like nobody like has the heart to be like or nobody has the balls you know let's be honest none of us had the balls in college like you can't you just can't sit with us yeah nobody had the balls to go full gretchen wieners on them and then when you did everyone's like well, why, why did you, you're being irrational. Cause I did go full Gretchen Wiener on somebody once and I got, and I became the asshole somehow. I'm like, <laughs> how did this backfire on me? Yeah. I'm just saying exactly what all of you have said behind their back 500 times. Cool. But yeah, but and I mean, that's sure. why, and that's why Kim Fowler's are Fou- all Fou- Foley. I don't give a shit what Fowley? his name is. Fowley. Foley? Fowley? Fowley. It doesn't matter. He's an asshole. I don't care. He doesn't get to have his name said properly. <laughs> the point is, that's how motherfuckers get to stick around. Is people just don't know how to like be confrontational and say, "Look, man, nobody likes you." And if somebody does stand up, like other people they don't get like the confrontation. For it. Like, well, hey, man, I don't like yell at him. Like, he's raping underage girls. Yeah, and he's doing something that was beyond deplorable. That's dis- fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, go fuck yourself. Joan has repeatedly said that she was never touched, groped, or in any way molested by Kim Foley. She still maintains that they got along great and worked well together. I'm not sure that I believe that entirely, but nevertheless, Joan took Kim on as her manager, and Kim set out to recruit teenage women for her band. And maybe, maybe he didn't touch her. Maybe. She wasn't his type, arguably. Yeah, she, she was might, not she at all. She didn't have surf stink. <laughs> But here's my problem. She very much knew what he was doing. 100%. Very much knew what he was doing to her friends. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she did. And that is where my big problem with Joan Jett comes in. Oh, yes. And we'll get into that farther down. Oh, my a little God. Bit. So we can you can take that and sit in your lap and I'm just gonna hold on it. to it. Pet it for a little full bit. Head and, for a while. and then we can pop it back out later. All right. <laughs> The first to sign on was Sandy West. She was also 15 years old and played drums. She and Kim had met a few days earlier at the bar at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and Kim was impressed with her. He got her phone number and passed it on to Joan. The next day, Joan took four buses to Sandy's house so they could jam together. Oh, shit. They connected instantly and on a whole different level. That right there, that jam session between Joan and Sandy was the beginning of the Runaways. Hell yeah. They recruited a bassist by the name of Mickey Steele. Mickey was a little older, around 20, when she joined the band, but she didn't stay very long. Right. These days, you might know her better as Michael Steele, the bassist for another all-female rock band, The Bangles. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. I do remember learning about that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I totally forgot about that. They replaced Mickey with California surfer girl Jackie Fox. Jackie was another 15-year-old that Kim discovered when she was dancing at the rainbow. Oh, God. Wait a minute. California surfer girl? Surf stink. Oh, God. (laughs) Go run away. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's why they're the runaways. Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far. Far, far away from here. She didn't even know how to play bass, but she wanted in with the band so badly that she learned overnight. Oh, shit. Well, that's awesome. She still wasn't very good, but she had the look and Kim liked her. But, but, I mean, here's the thing. To her credit. Yeah. Way to fucking just be like, I'm going to learn it. And maybe she wasn't great overnight, but I'm sure as time progressed, she got much better. And honestly, it's not like all of them were fucking virtuosos. Right. They were still teenage ladies. Exactly. So, yeah. While the girls liked the idea of being a three-piece, it was obvious that Joan was still way too shy to sing lead vocals. They searched for another girl to lead the band and found it in Cherie Curry. Dakota Fanning. And I do believe it's Cherie. Oh, okay. Because that is how Joan pronounced it in uh, the documentary Bad Reputation that Mm -hmm. I watched, and I assume she would know. Yeah. And also, <laughs> Cherie has a twin sister named Murray. Oh, my God. So this makes sense. Cherie and Marie. Cherie and Marie. Oh, my God. Her her mom's a real asshole, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> the fucking worst. Cherie Curry already knew Joan because they ran in the same glam rock scene. Kim brought Cherie in to audition, telling her to prepare a Susie Quattro song. But Kim and yep. Joan didn't know how to play the one she prepared. So Kim and Joan wrote a song on the spot for her to sing. Within 20 minutes, they had Cherry Bomb written, and Cherie nailed it. Yeah, you'd know that if you listened to last week's episode. Yeah. You're welcome. It was obvious that she was the perfect blonde bombshell to front the band, so she was in. Sandy then found Lita Ford, a 16-year-old guitarist, to play lead guitar. Thus, the main lineup of The Runaways emerged. So wait, Joan Jett played rhythm guitar? Mm Mm-hmm. And then Lita was uh, lead, lead guitar. guitar. Yes. Sandy was bass. Drums. And, oh, Sandy was drums. Jackie was bass. Jackie was bass. Mm-hmm. And then Shuri was vocals. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Five chicks. That's like, well, just five people in a band is a lot. That's a lot. Like any band that's like, I'm a five piece. I'm like, damn. Five piece nugget. It's <laughs> a lot going on there. It's a lot of meat. I'm hungry. <laughs> kind of hungry, Nuggets. too. Hungry. Nuggets. <laughs> They started playing club gigs around L.A., gaining a pretty good following, and worked on an album in late 1975. Their self-titled debut album was released on June 1st, 1976. By then, they nabbed a record deal with Mercury Records, and that deal included another one with Kim Foley, which basically gave him complete control over every aspect of the band. Get the fuck out of there! Which also makes me think, like... If Joan's on, like, this feminist bent and just wants, like, an all-female women empowerment kind of thing, Mm -hmm. why did she give him, like, such control over the band? I will say this. 
She was younger. She was. It was the 70s. Yeah. And this might have been what she thought was the only way to do it. Right. She might have not seen any other avenues, which... And I guess if he wasn't... I mean, think about the things that we did in our teen years and early 20s. It's like, I thought this was the only way I could do it. Turns out I could do other things. Yeah. And I guess if he's not trying to fuck with her, then she's more inclined to be like, all right, that's fine. And I mean, to be honest. And if he is fucking with the other members of the band, he could have control over them that way. Yes. I mean, maybe she is 100% honest about him never fucking with her because maybe he saw she's going to be the leader. She's the leader. I can't fuck with the leader. Yeah. But but, I can fuck with the other ones around her. But just because he's not fucking with her doesn't mean it's okay for her to gloss over the fact that he's fucking with everybody else. Oh, no, not at all. I'm just trying to like yeah, no. figure I mean, out her kind of psyche. Yeah. Is she might have just seen this as the only way. Yeah. Because it was the 70s and she was still a teenager. True. So. Yeah. Or maybe she thought, well, his name's Kim and Kim is a girl's name. So. <laughs> ah, fuck you, Kim Fowley. So his control included producing the record and co-writing most of the songs. Okay. He even refused to allow Jackie to play bass on the album, instead bringing in Nigel Harrison from Blondie to play bass. That's right. Yeah. I remember learning about that too. Mm -hmm. It's fucked. Yeah. Joan was obsessed with the idea of women playing hard rock in an all-female band because it hadn't really been done before. And she wanted a band full of badass boss babes giving a middle finger to the man. Yeah. And that was the attitude the girls adopted. Right. Which is ironic considering how much control Kim had over them. And that he fucking replaced their basis with a dude. Yep. He marketed the girls as jailbait. He told Ugh, Cherie to wear a corset, underwear, and fishnets as her stage costume. He oversexualized all of them. And mind you, the average age of these girls was 15. Yep. Joan and Cherie at least saw his hypersexualized branding as empowering. They weren't thinking that this child molester was telling them to ramp up the sex appeal. They saw it as owning their sex appeal. Okay. In a, which I guess. Yeah. yeah. I Some people, I mean, definitely some. That is very much a how you see it kind of thing. Yeah. Very how you much. own it. But that also, hold up. Is your level of comfort with that. Yeah. And everyone's going to ha- everyone's gonna have a different level of comfort with that. Right. Especially in the band. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's Joan and Sherry. Sherry, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> because of their image, people treated them as a novelty. Yeah. They thought it was really cute when they saw their shows, but once they realized the girls were serious about their music and weren't just there to fulfill a, ma- a male fantasy, people got angry. Oh. The media wasn't nice to them either. To the media, these girls were whores without responsible parents that were encouraging young girls to be whores. They were constantly asked about sex and sexuality during interviews instead of their music. Joan made a point not to answer those questions because if she did, all the runaways would be about was sex. Right. No one would ever talk about their music if they indulged journalists' dumb questions. It's true, though. It's true even today. Yeah. I mean, like, here's the thing. For what it's worth, yeah, I'm not in love with how Kim Fowley marketed them. I think mm-hmm. that was gross and abusive and manipulative. However, you know what? Media, don't take it the complete other way either. Right. There's a middle fucking ground. They're not horrible people because no. Sheree is wearing kids. a corset. 
They're yeah. fucking kids. Yeah. They're doing what an adult. If you have a fucking problem, go to the fucking guy telling them what to do. And a lot of journalists were really fucking disgusting about it. Like one guy wrote about seeing their show in a magazine. I forgot what magazine it was. But he literally said that like watching them perform, he was like he was trying to like jack off on the side of the stage because of how he saw Cherie. That's what fired disgusting was you fired no he should have been fired no he was absolutely not fired that's just fucking disgusting they actually printed that that guy can also go fuck himself yeah so it's like no matter what they did they were getting shit for it yeah it's it's such bullshit because it's like you're still playing into this male fantasy because men still fucking control that shit yeah it's bullshit yeah it was hard to be in the runaways for a while They were pelted with bottles and batteries and all kinds of shit at their shows, beaten up and even suffered broken bones because people couldn't handle the fact that they were women playing hard and fast rock and roll. Confusing feelings. I have to beat them up. I have a boner. I don't know how to really mad about this boner. Fucking I hate (laughs) people. Making matters worse was the ever-present Kim Foley looming over everything. Yeah. His way of keeping things interesting was to pit the girls against each other, encouraging them to argue and hold grudges. Mm -hmm. He would also physically abuse them, like throwing jars of peanut butter at them during rehearsals and verbally abusing them. All for the sake of, quote-unquote, letting them know what they're going to be up against on the stage. Oh, I know this story. Yeah, no, you were just abusing them. He just was having a good old time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he was fucking bonkers, yeah. too. Oh, you should know, like, what you're going to be up against. Like, no. 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 Because, you know, any other band wouldn't be up against people throwing shit at them from the audience. Maybe, like, empower them instead of beating them down. Yeah. You piece of shit. Ugh. Sexual abuse was ever-present, and he often used street drugs and quaaludes to incapacitate his victims and mm-hmm. rape them. Yep. This is exactly what bassist Jackie Fox said happened to her. Mm-hmm. She recently revealed that on New Year's Eve in 1975, she was told to take a quaalude by a crew member. Being 15 or 16 and afraid to say no, she took it. Shortly thereafter, while she was paralyzed and floating in and out of consciousness, Kim Foley raped her in front of a room full of people. Yep. Jackie called Joan and Cherie out for being present in the room during the attack. Mm -hmm. Joan's response was less than stellar. (laughs) She didn't say it didn't happen, but she said she was, quote, not aware of the incident. Joan inexplicably (laughs) defends Kim often. Mm -hmm. As recently as 2018, she told Rolling Stone that, quote, these girls could have walked away at any time if they were uncomfortable. Which is exactly what victim blamers say. Yeah. She continued, quote, I find a lot of people blame blamed Kim because he's dead. Because he recently died. Yes. So it's easy for the girls to say this or that. And I just don't see it that way. No one was making anyone stay. So if they were uncomfortable and didn't like it, why were you hanging out? I don't get it. End quote. See, this is why I have a problem with Joan Jett. Oh, this is a big problem I have with Joan Jett. I, like... Here's the thing. If you said this 20 years ago, fuck, if you said this 10 years ago, but like you came out two years ago Mm -hmm. and said, yo, I was wrong. That was wrong. Fine. Because here's the thing. Like, I don't want to cancel culture on people because it doesn't give them the chance to try to see the error of their ways. 
But if you're going to get called out and still just like triple down, I have a big fucking problem with you. Yeah. If your response to being called out by being um a bystander and not doing anything, um, if your response is me, 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 and not yeah. actually responding to what happened to the victim, that means you're probably guilty of something. Oh, yeah. And don't tout that you're some queen of feminism if you're going to victim blame. Yeah. Because that is exactly what she's doing right now. She is 100% victim blaming uh, Jackie Fox. For being a 15-year-old who got drugged because she didn't know how to say no because and you know she what? was 15. Yeah. They were 15, 16. Like... And you know what? They couldn't just leave. They couldn't just say no. They were constantly surrounded by people of authority. They were under contracts. They were doing world tours. They felt obligated to stay there. They couldn't just walk away. And they were being manipulated by an abuser. Exactly. Who told them they couldn't walk away. I'm sorry, Joan, but you can't just get up and walk away. And just because you had a different experience than Jackie did doesn't make Jackie's experience less valid. Right. And you know what's interesting? I learned in my research from last week that uh, Cherie, for a long time, was a critic of Kim. But mm-hmm. as he was getting closer to his deathbed, all of a sudden her tune changed. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she was like, I'm going to help him and take care of him. And he was a really good guy. And Cherie's response to Jackie's um, story, when she actually came out and said it, was almost worse yeah. Ben Jones. Her yeah. her reaction was basically like, I will do whatever it takes to prove that I wasn't there and yeah. she's a liar and blah blah blah. I'm like, why are you like so like you know so, so hellbent on so hellbent on proving that you weren't there? You could have just said, I was really drugged too and I didn't know what was yeah. going on. And and walked away and people were like, That's fair. And that's the thing, like the two of them were drinking and doing drugs. This whole time, too, they could have been passed out in the room and just not have remembered anything. Yeah. So, yeah, Jackie could be right. They could have been in the room, but they could have been passed out, too. Yeah. So it's just their reactions. Jones and uh, Cherise are just absolutely fucking pathetic. And this is where, like, female solidarity really comes into play, because the fact that we're not standing by each other's side when men are still sexually assaulting us. Mm hmm is gross this is why they still get away with it this is why it took harvey weinstein how long to get put into fucking jail yeah but now he's got the ronies so that's fine fucking good i don't even care yeah good die you piece of shit honestly yeah i try really hard not to be that person but oh but i'm gonna be that person with him yeah he's lived a good fucking life i think he's fine yeah actually he's probably happy he has i hope he probably hopes he dies too because he's not gonna fucking make it in jail but that's the thing these fuckers keep doing this. We still keep getting stories of men. I mean, Dr. Luke with Kesha. Mm-hmm. Like, these things are still happening because women are just not standing by each other. It's... We're saying, oh, she's just saying that because yeah. we think we need to stand by these men for their power. No, if we fucking stood by each other, you know what? What power do the men have? Yeah. it's And especially in the music industry because the Me Too movement hasn't really gotten to yeah. the music industry at all it's yet. trying but... it's trying and i thought maybe it would with the kesha and dr luke thing but nope nope yeah. still have still still waiting and that's the thing i kind of feel like joan might be worried that it will get into the music um industry maybe. and then she could be held liable for some things or people could just come for her and be like 
what you're saying is bullshit and you're not supporting your fellow female bandmate and that's really shitty so maybe come out and just be there for your fellow fucking women don't just try to say shit to cover your ass you know just fucking support her and if you were there just be like yeah i was there and i was 15 and i didn't know what else to do yeah that's totally understandable yeah that is a perfectly fine excuse yeah I I get that cancel culture is scary, and that's what I think we need to be more apt to forgive. If someone genuinely comes out and says, yo, I believed this, and it was wrong, and I'm sorry, and That now means I've you learned. learned. That's amazing. That's Fucking great. That's yes, exactly learned. what needs to learned. happen. Yes. Fuck. But yeah, Joan needs to learn a little bit from these, yeah. these moments. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Despite the abuse, Jackie kept quiet and continued with the band. Their debut album was successful, which meant a world tour was imminent. Mm -hmm. England had a much easier time accepting the band, so they spent a lot of time playing shows there. Yeah, that sounds right. This is where Joan started getting into punk rock. She was hugely influenced by the Sex Pistols, who became good friends of hers, and she brought the punk rock aesthetic back to the West Coast. The black moto jacket, tight leather pants, Converse... This was Joan Jett's image for the rest of her career. Yeah, still is. Still exactly what she looks like. Still exactly the same. Yeah. She does pull it off, though. Good for her. She does. She she really does look really good. She looks good. Yeah. But it was Japan that really loved the Runaways. You don't say. (laughs) They always fucking love all of the people we talk about. They really do. Kudos, Japan. We don't celebrate you enough. (laughs) The Japanese people treated them like the Beatles. They made television appearances, had their own TV special, they were mobbed at the airport, and they released a Japanese-only album called Live in Japan, which went gold. Joan attributes their success there to Japan's female audience. They understood what it was like to be treated as second-class citizens, and they understood the message Joan was trying to communicate with the Runaways. It was in Japan that the girls got their first real paycheck, but it was basically pennies. That made them wonder, how come they hadn't been getting paid up until now? Oh, there they are. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Hmm. They were selling out shows left and right, headlining a huge tour of Japan, but they weren't seeing any money. They still had to ask Kim for money to go get tampons or food. I bet. I fucking bet he loved that. Oh. Because he was their daddy. Oh. In the middle of the Japanese tour, the girls realized something pretty awful was going on. Huh. Just one thing? Huh? What? As You know what? You should also drink when there's bullshit contracts involved. Bullshit contracts. (laughs) As mentioned before, Kim liked to pit the girls against each other. He was back on his bullshit in Japan, and it turned into a blowout. Oh. They were handed the tour book Kim put together to give out while in Japan. Immediately, the girls noticed something was not right about it. It barely featured the band as a whole. Instead, it was mostly centerfold-like photos of Cherie in underwear and a corset, basically softcore porn. Oh. The girls were furious, but they were furious at the wrong person. Oh, no. Come on. They blamed Cherie for doing the photo shoot in the first place, not Kim for setting it up and making the tour booklet. This created a schism that would eventually break the band up. Yeah, sounds about right. After getting home from Japan, Jackie Fox made the smart decision to quit the band. Good. On top of the sexual abuse, the girls were working their asses off to the point of exhaustion. They never got breaks, they weren't getting paid, and their every move was controlled by Kim. 
Cherie walked soon after Jackie. She was addicted to coke and quaaludes. She was only 17. Oh, my God. And she had a blowout fight with Lita, and it was all too much to handle. Soon after, the remaining members of the Runaways, Joan, Lita, and Sandy, made the fateful decision to fire Kim Foley. Good. Now- Something you should have done before all the other women left, Like a long-ass fucking time ago. Now, it was Joan's time to shine. Yay! But you know who else shines? Who? It's a listener. It's you. It's you, listener. In the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lovely segue, Maggie. I'm really good at segues. (laughs) Really good segues. (laughs) It's about time. You guys, we've been teasing commercials for the longest time. And now we got one for you. It's about time we hawk some stuff to you. Yeah, so let's talk about adamandeve.com for a hot hot second oh so hot so spicy (laughs) (laughs) but yeah let's talk about adamandeve.com yeah right now you can go to adamandeve.com and get some free stuff to spice up your bedroom yours and yours alone yours and yours alone or i mean somebody else's i'm not gonna tell you not to do it but also like you gotta stay inside because the covid 19 (laughs) don't go out there yeah and you know what it might even be some some good stuff for yourself. It might be some stuff for him, some stuff for her, some stuff for you, some stuff for you, some stuff for your unicorn. Maybe you guys got a third and like, honestly, congrats, <laughs> because that is a hard thing to find. Hard. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but here are the deets, kids. Yeah. You can go to adamandeve.com and grab yourself one item for 50% off mm-hmm. and Adam and Eve will share the load of free stuff. Ooh, share the load. Samwise Gamgeeing all over that shit. Yeah, you know you need a partner and all that. <laughs> you need your own personal Frodo. Ooh. Mr. Frodo. Oh, you might get one on AdamandEve.com. You might. Just use code CANDYPOD that's C-A-N-D-Y P-O-D, not the band. <laughs> not the band. I don't feel so alive. You could feel so alive if you use that code at checkout. Oh. Where you can get three special gifts plus six free movies. Guys, you need to go get those movies. On top of all that, you can get free shipping. Oh my god. You know what, honestly? Do it for the shipping alone because that shit gets expensive. Shipping is expensive. Get that free shipping. Yeah. That's Candy Pod at checkout for those free gifts at adamandeve.com. Ooh. Put the candy in your pod. No. That's not where it goes. <laughs> the candy goes in the pod. No, it doesn't. Do not put candy in your pod. Can you put the pod in your candy? Maybe. Can you put the candy in your No. Can don't you... do it. Stop. D- no. Nope. No. Can... Sugar and genitals don't mix. Can you put the candy in your pud? <laughs> Get out. Back to the story. Back to the story at hand. Yeah. Now with Kim Foley out of the picture, Joan took over leading the band. She became the lead singer and recruited Vicky Blue on vase. Vase? Yeah, you definitely said vase. Vase. Okay. Their third album, Waiting for the Night, was released in October 1977, the second Runaways album made that year. Yeah, they made two... In one year. That checks out for the 70s. Yeah, the other one was Queens of Noise. Which they were. They were. Arguably. Also, would have been a really good 
title for this podcast. Why didn't we think of that? Because we are fucking dumbasses. Clearly. Drink. <laughs> the media was so used to seeing the bleach blonde Cherie fronting the band that they didn't accept the raven-haired guitarist as its leader. But Joan did it anyway. She graduated from the shy girl on the side of the stage to front and center singing lead vocals just in time for a world tour opening for the Ramones. Nice. As much as she tried, Joan couldn't keep the cracks from forming. The Runaways recorded their last album and now, dot dot dot, The Runaways. Oh yeah. In 1978 with John Alcock producing. <laughs> Alcock. Alcock. <laughs> the album was going in a heavier, more punk rock direction than previous Runaway Wackos. Runaway Wackos. Runaway Wackos. Drink. <laughs> but things weren't going so great with the producer. He had a camaraderie with Lita Ford and Sandy West, and it was clear the three of them wanted to make an album without Joan. Ooh. So she felt left out. Ooh. I think eventually they did try to make an album, and it, like, didn't no, go anywhere. Man. It fell apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It pushed a wedge between the band, eventually splintering the group apart. There was so much tension in the band that Joan decided to dissolve it altogether. I mean, could she do that? Yeah, I mean... She owned the band rights? Maybe. Okay. She well, could have. kicked Kim out, so... Who else is gonna own it? Yeah. Alright. She felt like a failure. Oh. Like, everybody was pointing a finger at her, saying, We told you so, we told you that you couldn't do it. Oh, that's some bullshit. She did it. She did do it. She did it. She was a, she was a success at it. 100%. Yeah. To deal with the dissolution of her dream, Joan started drinking and partying a lot. Yeah, that'll do it. She would have an apartment full of famous musician friends hardcore drinking and partying it up at all hours of the night. She was working at she was working at the time attempting to fulfill the runaway's obligations to Mercury Records with a movie called We're All Crazy Now. Okay. Was it like a documentary? It was no, it was a drama. It was loosely loosely based on the runaways and featured Joan in the lead role. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Wait, did she play herself? But then had actors playing everyone else. Yes. That's weird. That is weird. Yeah. But Joan's hard partying got in the way, and the movie was scrapped when she was hospitalized for a heart infection. What? Yeah. I don't know what that really means, heart infection. No. But, yeah, she was put in the hospital. Jesus. And she's like, what, 23? Maybe? Not even. 20? <laughs> 78? She was like 20. Jesus Christ, she's 20. Yeah. She recovered, but she was still lost and not sure what to do with her now that her band was gone. Through an actress she worked with on the movie, Joan met songwriter and producer Kenny Laguna. The two decided to write music together, which was a strange pairing if you think about it. Okay. Kenny Laguna was known for bubblegum pop hits from the 60s. Oh my God. Like Yummy, Yummy, Yummy by Ohio Express. You yummy, know. yummy, yummy. I, I, got, I got love in my tummy. I got some stuff in my tummy. <laughs> it's not bags of cocaine. It's farts. <laughs> yes. I got farts in my tummy. <laughs> yep. Okay. Sing it in your head. <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And it was an odd pairing, but it worked. Okay. Together, they married Joan's rough and tough exterior with a more palatable sound and great hooks. 
They set out to record Joan's debut solo album, simply called Joan Jet. It was okay. later re-released, but and they called it Bad Reputation. Oh, because then you know what song is on yeah. there. It featured plenty of cover songs, which Joan would become known for. Yeah. Yeah, she did a lot of covers. I was going through her Spotify. It's a lot of covers. Yeah. I don't really know what the... Good covers, but at the same time, I'm like, does she not have that much original material? I don't know. I think she just really liked older songs so much that she wanted to do them her way. That's fair. I don't know. All right. But two songs would go on to become Joan Jett classics, Bad Reputation, an original song about Joan's hard-ass reputation while in The Runaways, and Do You Want to Touch Me, parentheses, Oh Yeah. This was originally a Gary Glitter song, and as it turns out, Gary Glitter was a pedophile. Don't touch kids, drink. (laughs) So it's... And if you're one of our Patreon members, you'll already know this because we talked about this a couple months ago. We did because Green Day just sampled the song in one of or in their new single. Yeah. And people were like, Green Day samples a Joan Jett song that was a Gary Glitter song and he's a pr- pedophile. I'm like, but why can't we talk about how Joan Jett covered the song in the first place? Yeah. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Again. We don't want to talk about Green Day. Yeah. The album was released in Europe on uh, Areola Records? <laughs> no. It's A-R-I-O-L-A. That spells Areola. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> when that was released on May 17th, 1980, to decent sales. But for some reason, they just could not get a record deal in the U.S., They received 23 rejection letters. Wow. Eventually, they said, fuck it. We'll release it ourselves. All right. Kenny drained his toddler daughter's college fund and used the money to print the album themselves. Oh, you better have fucking high hopes on Mm. this. That's your kid's college. Best be believing in this album. An album full of covers. Don't ever tell your daughter if it fails. (laughs) Like, we just never had the money to send you to college, sweetie. Sorry. Also, like, college is is a racket. Don't go. Yeah. In a total punk rock DIY move, they sold the record out of the trunk of Kenny's Cadillac at Jones shows. Fucking beautiful. But also, he had a Cadillac. Right? Couldn't you just sell your Cadillac? I mean, that's not going to cover the whole thing, but but come on. Where would they sell the record? (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. (laughs) This was the beginning of Blackheart Records, a label headed by Joan and Kenny. Under this label, Joan has released some of her most successful hits. After releasing her debut, she realized something. She really needed a backing band. She would always be front and center, but as a solo artist, she needed the energy of other musicians on stage with her. Yeah. Weirdly... Joan made the decision specifically not to play with women again because she didn't want it to be compared to the Runaways. I guess that that makes sense. She only auditioned men, even saying in the LA Weekly ad that she was, quote, looking for three good men to become the the Blackhearts. All right. After securing her backing band, they went on a European tour and and settled into a routine of shows around LA. After a while, they realized things just weren't working out in Los Angeles. They'd basically exhausted their audience and didn't have other close-by cities to play to get more fans. 
maybe a big move was needed. If they moved to New York City, they had a whole huge network of big cities within driving distance to play in, guaranteeing constant audience buildup. So they moved to Long Beach, New York in 1980. All right. That's a bit of a move, but it, I think that works. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, especially if you're trying to be like kind of punk. Yeah, that's that's where you go, because at this point, it's the 80s. Yep. Yeah, this is where you want to be. Hmm. The move worked and proved to be a turning point. They consistently won over audiences in New York and New England, keeping things fresh every time. They were still struggling, only playing small clubs and barely getting by. Gone were the days of runaway mania in Japan, but Joan's hard work was about to pay off. It's about fucking time. Again. Again. In 1981, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts released the album I Love Rock and Roll. The album was once again heavy on the covers, including the title track, which was originally done by the Arrows. I thought it was originally done by Weird Al. I love (laughs) Rocky Road. You know you made it when Weird Al covers you. Yeah. A cover of a cover. Yeah. Yeah. A parody of a cover. Parody of a cover of a cover. Of a cover. Joan had long been obsessed with this song and even recorded a rough version of it years earlier with Steve Jones and Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols. Oh, shit. Nice. But it was Joan Jett and the Black Hearts version that everyone would come to know and love. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a cover till I got older. Same. Most knew, people don't. I knew Crimson and Clover was a cover. Yes. But I didn't realize that, like, yeah, most of her shit was covers. Released on my sister's first birthday. Oh, happy birthday, your sister. <laughs> January 19th, 1982. A baby MTV quickly caught wind of the song and begged Kenny Laguna to, to make a video for it. Kenny complied, and the now iconic music video introduced millions to Joan Jett. Is that the one where she's, like, walking around the bar? Yeah. yeah. Jukebox and, like, everyone's just, like, fists in the air. She's, like, playing pool. Roll. Somebody's playing pool. I think there's a pool table there's in there. There's a pool table in there. It's a, a bar. Jukebox. It's a bar. It's a townie bar. She loves rock and roll. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> the song I Love Rock and Roll became a number one hit, topping the charts for seven weeks. Shit. Things changed rapidly for Joan and the band. Yeah. That'll Some, do it. Yeah. Small clubs turned into arenas. Huge world tours were set up, and people like Freddie Mercury and David Bowie started coming to her shows. Yeah. Can you imagine? 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 Oh. (laughs) Controversy didn't stay away from Joan for long. She got a bit of heat for her cover of Crimson and Clover, the second single off her I Love Rock and Roll album. She didn't change the pronouns because then the song wouldn't rhyme, so they stayed she and her. People got all up on their huffy bikes because it sounded so lesbian. I am going to huffy bike my way straight out of here. (laughs) It didn't even phase Joan. She continued fielding questions about her sexuality exactly the same way she did when she was in the runaways. That is by not entertaining them at all. Good. Like that is none of anyone's business. But. Nobody understood, you know, not that maybe you just don't yeah, maybe ask just questions don't, like maybe that. Maybe you just don't give a shit. Yeah. Who gives a shit? That's not the important the thing. The song's here. still a fucking banger. Exactly. Joan's third solo album, simply titled Album, was released <laughs> in 1983. Wait, it's not named after any of the songs on the album. I don't know what songs are on this album. 
I don't. I just know that it's an album. It is an album. I don't like it. It has album traits. It has traits of an album. I don't know what album. songs are on there. No idea. It veered in a slightly different direction, mainly because it only had two cover songs on it. The rest were written by Joan and Kenny. Oh, shit. There it is. For some reason or another, MCA didn't promote the album. Huh. Kenny claimed that MCA went so far as to stop people in the street from buying it. Why? I don't know. What? That doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. And I couldn't find out why MCA didn't want to release it and like, like didn't want to promote it. behind that. Yeah. Huh. I don't really understand what, why they would claim that. I, yeah, d- that I don't know. That doesn't check. But it barely cracked the top 20 billboard charts and isn't considered much of a success. Oh. What followed were a couple albums that performed moderately well. She continued to slay around the world, opening for huge acts like Queen and Aerosmith. Oh my god. She was still curious about acting, despite the disaster that was supposed to be the Runaways movie. Well, she was real high. Yeah. And drunk. Yeah. Like, that. that's... She, she could always give that another shot. She could always just, like, kick that to the side and just be, yeah, like, and be like, this is my first movie. Right. Yeah. That well, never got released anyway. Yeah, it didn't. In 1988, she starred in the movie Light of Day alongside Michael J. Fox, who played her brother. Oh. The premise being that the two of them were in a rock band together and family drama ensues as their deeply religious mother disapproves of Joan's decisions. I mean, this kind of sounds like a good movie. She wasn't half bad. And this was like, this was the movie where Michael J. Fox tried to become a dramatic actor he segued from comedic into the drama. But I feel like Michael J. Fox could always go dramatic because I don't think his comedy was that comedic. He wasn't like a Jim Carrey or a Will no, Ferrell. No, but he was known for um, Family Ties, which was a comedic role, and then Back to the Future, which was kind of a comedy. So this was like the first time he was dipping his toe into dramatic waters. I guess. I mean, yes, but also I don't think it's that unrealistic to look at Michael J. Fox. And make, he can play drama. Oh, no. Yeah. There were some dramatic episodes of Family Ties. There were. There were some upsetting episodes, man. Also, he was a Republic. He was a young Republican in that show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But that's... being a Republican in the 80s was much different than being a Republican now. Yeah. I don't know. I Every time I think of young Republican in the 80s, all I can think of is Christian Bale and American Psycho. Oh my god. Yep. That's what I feel like every young Republican in the 80s was like. <laughs> yeah. And pretty right. much now, too. So yeah. Yeah. Mo- More now than then. Nothing nothing changes. Nothing changes. But anyway, Light of Day. Bruce Springsteen wrote the song, Light of Day. Nice. Specifically for the movie. And Joan performed it on the soundtrack. And I think this movie was inspired by Bruce Springsteen. And the guy who wrote it brought it to Bruce Springsteen. He brought the script to Bruce Springsteen to read it over because oh, wow. he wanted his opinion on what, like, a blue-collar, hard-working bar band was like. Yeah. And I Who guess, better to ask? Apparently, it was orig- the movie was originally called Born in the USA. Oh, my God. And he, br- he gave the script to Bruce Springsteen to read. Bruce liked the title so much that he stole it. And put it on a song that he was writing about a Vietnam vet. I didn't know that's where... Okay. Yeah. And then he took the this song called Light of Day that he already had and was like, here, but use this song instead. 
<laughs> oh, Bruce. Oh, Bruce. Bruce. He's not Bruce, Bruce. He's just Bruce. Yeah. Bruce from Jersey. Bruce from Jersey. <laughs> but also, imagine how great that is for Joan Jett, though. Irregardless. To be singing a song written by Bruce Springsteen in a, about in a movie, movie that's kind of loosely based on him that he got gave like the thumbs up on. Yeah. Like that's when you're like, yeah, I fucking made it. That's pretty Bruce cool. Springsteen? Yeah. yeah, I fucking made it. Yeah. That same year after continuing issues with her new parent label, Epic Records, oh. Joan released Up Your Alley once again independently on Blackheart Records. This album featured another huge hit, I Hate Myself for Loving You. Which is good song. a fucking good song. That's a great song. The song reached number eight on the Billboard charts and helped boost Joan's profile after her career was kind of plateauing. Mm. By the early 90s, the music scene was changing. Grunge was all over the airwaves and the Riot Girl movement took hold in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it did. And later in the Seattle area of Washington State. For more on that, you should listen to our Riot Girl episode from like two years ago. <laughs> from a long fucking time Literally ago. Literally two years ago. Yeah. It had its roots in punk, but took a hardcore females first mentality. The, a big supporter of the movement was Ian McKay, a seminal punk of seminal punk band Fugazi. Yeah. Ian, if you remember from our Riot Girl episode, was also friends with Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill. Yeah. Ian gave Joan a Bikini Kill demo tape, and shortly thereafter, Kathleen got a call from Joan herself asking if she wanted to collaborate. Joan was incredibly impressed with everything the women in the Riot Girl movement were doing. I mean, it's really what she was doing back in the 70s. Exactly. She saw it as all of them fighting the same fight that's been going on for years and loved how outspoken and fearless they were. Except, you know, maybe, just maybe, I mean, if there was some sexual assault pretty sure somebody in bikini kill might would have said something say about something it. and would probably try and kill the person that yeah. was trying to rape somebody yeah just gonna throw that out there she saw bikini kill as an updated version of the runaways and she didn't want to just support them she wanted to be involved oh, i bet yeah <laughs> oh my god i'll take that out yeah. that's shitty <laughs> She produced Bikini Kill song Rebel Girl, and Kathleen Hanna wrote songs on Joan's 1994 album Pure and Simple. That's right. Also, I forgot to put in here, because I'm a fucking idiot. Um, This was not the first thing that Joan ever produced. She actually produced the one and only album that The Germs released. Oh. And The Germs are like a huge hardcore punk band. Yeah. That Pat Smear was a part of, and Pat Smear went on to become part of Nirvana in the last few that's months. That's right. That's right. So that's another like that's a huge mind blowing right six degrees of bullshit. So nice. So she was kind of already in this scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, Pat Smear wasn't really in this scene at all. He was still more like East Coast punk. I think. Still, I mean, I think there was, is. Wait, wait, was were the Germs L.A. I thought they were, but don't quote me on that. I'm not great with my germs history. My yeah. germs story. I'm pretty. No, I think drink. they were L.A. Portmanteaus. Drink. <laughs> yeah, I think they were actually L.A. That makes way more fucking sense. But I don't believe that Pat was really part of the whole grunge scene or the Seattle scene. Hmm. Um, if anything, he might have known Dave Grohl, but I don't think so. Well, Joan uh, Jett knows way. Dave Grohl now. Yeah, she knows him now. The friends now. Yeah. They did um, Cherry Bomb. Oh, really? the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. Yeah, Live yeah. performance. Yep. Sounds very good with both of them together. 
Yep. Sounds better live. Oh, I'll have to listen to it. Yeah. But this wasn't just a publicity publicity thing or or whatever. Joan was fully invested in the Riot Girl movement. Oh yeah. When Mia Zapata was murdered in 1993, Ugh. her death affected Joan deeply. She worked with the remaining members of the Gits on a live album with all the profits going to the murder investigation. We talked about Mia Zapata on our true crime, our episode, true crime episode a year and a half ago. <laughs> Long time ago. But that was that's such a That fucking, was a horrible story. God fucking damn it, that's an upsetting story. And it's so fucking senseless and bullshit. And completely fucking random. Yeah. Like it never should have happened. Never should have fucking Absolutely happened. Absolutely never should have happened. It's so fucking upsetting. Yeah. Through the late 90s and early 2000s, Joan's career started slowing down a bit. Her albums were doing okay, but she wasn't really making much money. They needed something to revamp her image and boost sales again. And that's when Kenny's formerly toddler daughter, whose college fund he drained, (laughs) uh, Carrie Ann Brinkman, entered the picture. Okay. Kenny was kind of living in the Stone Age at this point. And I should mention that Joan and Kenny have this, like, very special kind of friendship. And I'm not saying special as in quotations. No, I didn't, I'm saying, I like, didn't see it that way. They have a friendship that, like, transcends however many years they've been friends. It's, yeah. They just have a bond. They have a connection yeah. that they get. And they maybe have, not everybody else does. Yeah, they have a really great bond. And I think at first it was more like mentor to protege hmm. or father to daughter or something like that and it's just grown into like they're just the absolute best friends the best friend soulmate kind of thing they don't like want to do things with each other they just are super that's it best friends yeah there's just an ease and a connection that they have they can't explain it they're not gonna and she was a very big part of um Carrie Ann's um, upbringing. Of course. And I think she lived with them for a while and like just spent a lot of time with them as a family and was really big in bringing up their daughter. Nice. Which she kind of had to be because she drained her college fund. It's like, I kind of owe this kid. Kind of own this owe I'm this pretty kid. sure that that album probably replenished that college fund and then some. Like 10 times over. Yeah, yeah. she was fine. She could have yeah. gone to college if she wanted. She probably did. She's a very smart young lady. And she could even drink whole milk if she wanted. (laughs) Yeah, she could. Yeah. So, yeah. Kenny was living in the Stone Age. He didn't understand that a digital revolution was happening. He Mm. still wanted to sell CDs at 17 bucks a pop. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's how he thought money was made. Oh, honey. Yeah, honey. Honey, sweetie. You poor soul. Bring your daughter in here. She's going to help you. (laughs) She's going to show you how to turn the computer on. <laughs> What's that sound, sweetie? <laughs> That's just the computer turning on, Dad. How do I get to solitaire? <laughs> How do I check your Facebook? I heard all the kids are on that now. Dad, nobody my age uses Facebook. Can I can I can you search for recipes on the Facebook? I need to know how to make a pot roast. It's, no, you want Google. No. Put me in Google. I'm going to Google put, your put Facebook. Me in the Google. My daughter's Facebook, Google.com. <laughs> oh, Dad. Oh, Dad, you're so dumb. I mean, like, yeah, you're just, you're just sweet and old. You don't know any better. <laughs> well, either way, 
Yes. So his daughter came in. Carrie Ann convinced Joan and Kenny to get on iTunes. Yeah. Remember, remember iTunes? It's still a thing, apparently. Right. Some people still get suckered into that. Ugh. It's like a scam for old people now. Oh, my God. <laughs> the iTunes. Guys, Spotify. Within the first week of being on iTunes, they sold 70,000 units of I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> units. <laughs> Drink. Carrie Ann also convinced them to have Joan go on the Warp Tour in 2006. Oh, nice. This was peak Warp Tour. And oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> peak Warp Tour. Green Day. So many checkered vans. Mm, I love my checkered yeah. vans. And this guaranteed maximum exposure. Joan was still known to be punk as fuck, so yeah. she was accepted on the tour no problem. It reignited the passion people always had for her. Since then, Carrie Ann has taken over managing Joan's career and the Blackheart label. Nice. In the meantime, Joan diligently campaigns with PETA for animal rights and runs a farm sanctuary. Which, like, PETA... PETA is not the best choice. Not the best choice. But your animal sanctuary is probably lovely. But she has also been partnering with PETA for a very long time. Like, before people realized that PETA were cuckoo for coconuts crazy people. You know, to hear more of our opinions on PETA and the opinions of actual vegans on PETA, you should go to our friends <laughs> The V Spot. Because we did an episode with them and talked about PETA a lot because a lot of musicians are just like, PETA and we're like but no but, but not there's PETA better, there's better organizations guys there are a whole lot of better organizations just also google for 10 minutes like support your local animal sanctuary because yeah. there's probably one near you and you just don't know and they probably need way more help than PETA they does. need your help a lot especially right now exactly oh my god please help your local animal sanctuaries yes and Joan was also inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2015 Wow, it, that feels like a really long time to get inducted. It was a very long time. Hmm. Yeah. And I think Nirvana was inducted the year before. Because and, that was probably their first year. And she, um, they did like a concert afterwards at a different venue. Mm -hmm. And she came out and like, she did Smells Like Teen Spirit and a bunch of other Nirvana songs with Dave and Chris and Pat. I'm sure they're all friends, which is very nice. Yeah. But also, like, she probably was eligible around, like, 2010, maybe? Oh, yeah. I mean, she started in... Like, 75-ish? Uh, if 75. you want to count the runaways. 75. Yeah. So, I think 2010. Or 2000? <sighs> I'm not great with math, but the point How is... How many years? I think it's going to be 25. 25, so 75, 80, 90, 2000. Yeah. She would have been eligible with the runaways in 2000. Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So, hey, if you want to hear more about the bullshit there is on, on uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you should listen to our sister Jesus, podcast. you are all about the plugs today. I am today. plugging today, but our sister podcast, Who Cares About the Rock Hall, they're on Pantheon, and they're yeah. actually really fucking hilarious. They are. You should totally listen they to them. They really are. So yeah, it's safe to say that Joan's early career with the Runaways was controversial. Yeah. Whether the controversy was planned or not, she knew how to use that to her advantage, and she used it well. Whether or not she turned a blind eye to deplorable behavior happening around her, her image as a hard-hitting feminist with both middle fingers up in the face of the patriarchy was groundbreaking. 
Joan got where she is today through incessant hard work mm-hmm. on her own yeah. for the most part. Yeah, honestly, gotta give her credit where credit's due. I mean, I might have a lot of problems with how she's treated the other women she came up with. But bitch was a workhorse. She, she wa- didn't stop. She's still a workhorse. She never stopped. She never had a hiatus. No. Really, except if you count her drinking herself into the hospital, which was like maybe Terrible. a year Maybe a year but, like, of not take working. take that time. <laughs> take that time to, like, stop drinking and get better. But, I mean, like, that year would have been between when the Runaways ended and her solo career started. In Which between was the partying and the heart infection that's and nothing. hospital stay. Yeah. That's the nothing. Grand, yeah. In the grand scheme of her career, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, overall, and like I said, I try not to feed into cancel culture. I think she still has written amazing music. I still think that she has really proven herself to women. Mm-hmm. That's not what I mean to say. Not that she's proven herself to women. She's proven herself to be this strong woman and, like, so that other women can see this and say, oh, I don't have to take this bullshit. Yeah. And I don't she have to definitely... follow anyone else's recipe of what feminism is. She has definitely cultivated and maintained that image of this badass that doesn't take shit from anybody. Right. And she, she's been doing that since 1975 when people first started knowing who she was. Right. Um, and that's great, but also have a little bit of hum- humility yeah. and humanity. And if somebody calls you out and says, this really horrible thing happened to me and I think you were in the room, don't automatically go on the defensive because that's not what anybody needs and it's not making you look good Mm -mm. we have to support each other women still have to support each other so despite the fact that she is this beacon of um feminist you know cheerleading squad yeah like (laughs) this beacon of feminist cheerleaders then like you still have to learn from things yeah that's part of it you can't just be like nope this didn't happen like nope, this was you. hard for me and i did this all on my own and this that yeah. and thing. like you also have to say hey maybe this fucked up thing happened and maybe i witnessed it and i didn't know what to do which is fine you were 15 16 you can yeah. say i didn't know what yeah. to do if you're no going- one's gonna be mad at you for being a kid who didn't know what to do yeah If you're going to continue to be part of the progressive feminist movement, then you have to learn from things. Right. And I don't feel like she's really learning from things. Right. That's, that's, That's I think, our only real problem. That's the problem. But she is an amazing artist. Mm. She does work insanely hard. Yes. She's earned everything that she's gotten. Yeah. I won't take any of that away from her. Yeah, no. Just like, this is my little plea to be like, hey, Joan, Joan. Just, like, admit that some fucked up things happened when you were around. But it's okay because you were a kid and they will never happen around you again. Yeah. They would never happen around her again. Right. Are you kidding me? She's an adult. She's a bad bitch. She's in charge. She and wouldn't maybe, let that shit fly. Maybe at this point, if something like that were to happen, she would get involved. Right. And break it up or whatever. Of course. But, I don't doubt that if something like that yeah. happened around her now, like, it wouldn't. Yeah. but You, you know what I mean? She put a stop to that real quick. Yeah. But you can't just deny that things in the past happened. Right. You can't. You can't do that. And that's kind of the big thing, too. You know, we've gotten plenty of criticism for analyzing history and misrepresenting it because we look at it and say, hey, that wasn't cool. But you know what? 
if you don't look at shit that happened in the past and say that was a bad fucking thing and shouldn't yeah. happen, it's going to keep happening. There is absolutely no fucking way in hell I would relay the story of Kim Foley to oh, people no. and just completely dismiss it and be like, that was just the time. Yeah. No, just because a room full of people dismissed him raping somebody. In the, the 70s in doesn't the 70s, mean I'm going to do it in 2020. Mean I, yeah, doesn't mean I, I can do it 30, 40 years later. No. That's not how this works. That's not how this works, guys. So that's, you know, we got to learn. We got to learn from the past. Some shitty things happened and they were bad. And we need to say, hey, that was bad. That is the point of studying history yeah. is to learn from it and not make the same mistakes. Don't let history repeat itself. We could do that, guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ, people. <laughs> all right, drink. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> We hope you guys enjoyed the story of Joan Jet. Hope you liked getting shit faced on our extra spicy drinking so, game. Which Spice Girl do you feel like? I feel like Baby Spice. Wait, really? No. Oh, you're Ginger. Yeah, I'm fucking Ginger. I mean, I'm sporty. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, I'm I'm one hundred percent Ginger. We haven't spice. changed our our Spice Girls of choice. However, we would love to know what Spice Girl you are. So, we really do. No, like, that's honestly. not even a joke. We're Guys, not being condescending. Times are tough. Please feel free to reach out to us and have dumb conversations about what Spice Girl you are today. Yeah. Right? Like, Also, you can share with us all the Roni memes because oh we're God. here for Roni memes. We're here for memes. We're here for Spice Girls. Honestly, tell us how drunk you got. Tell us just Seriously. how you felt about, like, this episode, if you have any thoughts. I am going to have a lot of time on my hands this week, so I will respond to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready for- I will. And she has a ton of beer in her, her house. Oh, so, so much beer. So much beer, so much mead. And so, like, you I'm just guys gonna be drunk are going to get a, a drunk Ashley responding to you. It'd be great. So- <laughs> Drunk at 9 a.m. And if you want to reach out to us, you can go ahead and visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com, and you can comment on the episode. You can toss us an email, and you can also find our social needs. We got Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can contact us on anything, because we look at them. We look at all of them. We gotta check them all. Gotta check them all. Mm -hmm. It's like Pokemon, but <laughs> podcast? Podcastmon? Podcastmon. Podmon? Podmon. Podmon. Yeah. And also, you know what? Not a lot going on right now, right? You're sitting in your house, your mm -hmm. apartment, hanging out. Maybe you're on iTunes and you want to slip us a sweet <laughs> five-star review. Get that sweet iTunes. Yeah, get on some iTunes that we totally just bashed that long ago. <laughs> and uh, drop us a nice five-star review. Tell us how great we are. And I mean, if you don't think we're great, don't leave us a review. Just email us and we can have a nice conversation like adults. It'd be great. Yeah. I like it. I like conversations. Yeah. Also, swing by our network, Pantheon Podcasts. Yes. Do that because I know you got time on your hands. You got time and you need more stories about the musics because there are a ton and there are a ton that you can find on Pantheon Podcasts. So much. And also... We were serious about the Adam and Eve read, guys. Like, they're sponsoring us now. So yeah. if you want to help us out, go order some sexy stuff from Adam and Eve. Use Candy yeah. Pod and code and get some free shipping because that shit's tight. You get so many free gifts. It's ridiculous. It is. It is pretty amazing. It's worth it just to get something for all the free gifts. I know. And like, honestly, I want, I might use it just to see what we get. 
Yeah, like we I want to know. It. I want to know what free gifts you get. Actually, hit us up, guys. If you want us, we will do the Adam and Eve ourselves. My... And just to see what gifts we get, and we will do like a a special an op- reopening, not no an opening, reopening. I'm I unboxing. Will, I will put <laughs> down money that one of those things is gonna light up. Yes, it is. At least one is gonna light up. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> so tell us if you want to do. Honestly, guys, we're here for conversations right now. Yeah, we need to stay in touch with each other and support each other. Yeah. Also, speaking of supporting each other, I spent all that all that hot cash you got. I know, considering the extra spicy end times we're living in right now. So spice. Um, If you want to feel so generous and give us those precious few dollars that you have sitting in your wallet, Mm. you can head on over to Patreon.com/slash Rock Candy Podcast and fling us a few bucks. Yep. And you can get some stuff in return. Like some stickers, some coasters. Some buttons. So buttons. So buttons. And a bonus episode. That's going to come out next week. Yeah. So if you do it now, you'll get it soon. Do it. Instant gratification. (laughs) Also, support your local artists. Just support artists in general. Because right now, it's it's the artists and the musicians and the bartenders and, and the, the restaurants, restaurants want Wokos, who are really fucking struggling Don't right order now. from Amazon. Yeah, no. Don't order from Walmart. Order from local. Get Guys. Just, if you ever just wanted to sit in your house and just order takeout for every meal and just get tons of beer, now's the time. Now's the time. They will thank you. Yeah. We're all coming out of this quarantine 15 pounds heavier. But we all want to come out of it together. Exactly. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. So much love. So come in next week. We got one more episode for Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. It's a note to end it on, for sure. <laughs> Boy, I can't it's an, wait. It's an OG note to end it on. Yeah. It'll be a drinking game episode, for sure. Oh. Yeah. I, I'll have to st- restock all of my beer. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Because you'll probably drink it all week. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So come in next week. We'll see you kids then. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you crazy kids out there. Put the candy in your pod. Don't put candy (laughs) in your pod. Hey everybody, this is Brian Reisman, host of the podcast Side Jams, which is now a proud member of the Pantheon family of podcasts. I've been a freelance entertainment journalist for 25 years now, and I often end up in conversations that go off on tangents. Suddenly you're discussing someone's outside passion or hobby, something you didn't know about, and it leads into revelations about their character and about their life outside of their art. I've often had to cut those details out because a story had a strict word count or a specific focus, so here... The entire focus of the podcast is just on their side jam or side jams. For example, Allison Chain's frontman William Duvall spent some time talking to me about reading history, which led him into talking about his public school education and how it was so terrible in high school that he actually managed to get into a private school for free so his life could take a different course. In this series of podcasts, you're going to be hearing my interviews with musicians of all different backgrounds and genres, talking about everything from surfing to collecting antiques to stargazing. I hope you enjoy Side Jams. Please tune in regularly and I'll have a lot of interesting guests in store for you. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.